I am hosting a retreat in Tulum, Mexico, in paradise this October called Bloom in Tulum. It's a five-day, all-inclusive, personal and professional growth retreat for ambitious, big-hearted women who are ready to step into their power with grace, support, and confidence. So my two biz besties and I dreamed up this magical retreat over sushi a few months back, and after lots of planning, it's actually happening. We have mapped out a thoughtful itinerary with lots of downtime to make the most of this beautiful paradise beachside location and also set you up for a powerful and memorable experience of growth. There's only 20 spots available and all three of us are promoting it to our full community. So that's like over 50,000 people. So I imagine the spots will fill very quickly. If you are interested in joining us in Bloom and Tulum, go to bloomintulum.com for all the details and to complete your application. Also know that early bird pricing ends on June 30th. So it's a really good time to secure your spot and save some money. I mean, honestly, like how fun would it be to hang out in person at a gorgeous, luxurious, all-inclusive in October? So head to Bloom in Tulum. That's B-L-O-O-M in Tulum. T-U-L-U-M. Bloomintulum.com for all the details and complete your application. Once she was allowed to start being and living as her authentic self, she became so much happier. She now has more friends than she ever has had. She's doing so well. And it's really impossible to watch your child transform in that way and not get over yourself and over your grief. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast. Today, we're talking about when your child is trans with Paria Hasori. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast, now with over a million downloads. Here, it's about becoming less irritable and more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clarkfield's Mindful Mama mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back, my friend. I am so glad you are here. In just a moment, I'm going to be talking to Paria Hazori, a mother of three, pediatrician, writer, and trans activist in Los Angeles about her book, Found in Transition, A Mother's Evolution During Her Child's Gender Change. This is her debut book, and this is a really powerful book. I've already passed it on to friends in my neighborhood who could benefit from this. And I think you're going to really find this conversation really eye-opening. You know, what is it like when your child tells you they are trans? You know, this can be a scary scenario for a parent. And this happened to Puria when her then son came out as a girl at 13 years old. And so you're going to get to find out what it's like parenting a transgender teen. And you're going to hear about how our children really need us to trust and support them when they come out as trans, and how as a mom she went through denial, anger, and grief at this huge change, and how, you know, 
thinking about like gender identity in general, right? Like how girls are often celebrated for being strong, but we also need to celebrate boys for being soft. So we talk about how parents of younger kids can help in this area. It was a really powerful conversation. You'll hear that gets emotional sometimes. And I think that you'll find a lot in here to learn from whether this is all new to you or whether this is something that you are really versed in. So I can't wait for you to dive into this conversation. I'm really proud to have her on the podcast. So now on to this conversation with Paria Hazori. Paria, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, you have a, a fascinating story. And so now I'm a, I just have to say that now I'm a, a parent of a teen. I have a 13 year old. And, um, and of course, I've been in the, you know, in the world and seeing all the revolution of pe- trans people claiming their rights and all of this stuff and, and this, this uh, awakening, I think that is kind of generally happening. Mm-hmm. And it's been really interesting for me, I think personally, I just want to frame this as like, it's been interesting for me to watch my own reactions to it. And they're not all like awesome, you know, and I am like a pretty like really open-minded accepting person, like in general, like that's generally how I see myself. And that's what I get reflected back to me anyway. But um, but it's been interesting to watch these these habits of reaction that that are just like internal that just arise right through my conditioning in my culture to to various things and and it seems like your book about your daughter found in transition you discovered some of these these own responses in yourself too to this to to discovering this about your daughter so maybe you can like just take us back to the sort of the start of the story and and what happened um, yeah, so I have three children, and in tw- May of 2017, my middle child, who was 13 and a half at that point, came out as transgender to us. Um, as she was born designated male and, and um, told us that she is a girl and that she wants to start dressing as a girl and going to school eventually as a girl and and starting and start hormone therapy and when she told us that at 13 and a half uh, my husband and I were completely blindsided by it we didn't think that she had any signs at all in her childhood of being trans or possibly having any gender dysphoria or any gender identity issue um, and when she sat on the couch at 13 and a half and told us she's a girl, she looked 100% like what you would think of as your typical teenage boy in you know shorts and a t-shirt with a crop of messy hair. Um, and you know, in throughout her childhood, you know, she had never shown an interest in what we associated what we associate with you know girl things so for example she had never wanted to grow out her hair or wear skirts or dresses or have a younger daughter she never really had an interest in you know so girl toys whatever that means you know now i realize toys don't really have gender but you know were all over our house whether it was like 
you know, dolls and princesses and tea sets and all of that, you know. Um, and she never had any interest in her sister's uh, toys. She never resisted the clothes that I bought her. She never said statements like, I don't want to be a boy or I'm a girl or I don't like my penis or whatever number of things you could think of that may indicate some gender issue in a child, she, she didn't have. And, and so when she came... Well, you're a pediatrician too. Yes. So yes. you're you're fairly versed in what happens with little kids and, and what happens, you know, throughout childhood and developmental stages and things like that. So or you thought you were, I guess. Right. I thought I was. <laughs> Apparently I was not. So I think, you know, m- most people have uh, this impression that all trans people know that they're trans or have some gender dysphoria um, in, that exhibits itself starting in early childhood, as early as three, four, five, six. Um, and that's what I thought. And so when she told us we didn't believe her at all because we thought there's no way this is possible and this has to be some sort of teenage confusion, attention, getting, depression, who knows what phase. Um, and that's actually not the case at all. Um, there, you know, I subsequently learned that about half of trans people um, don't really come into kind of their gender identity and gender dysphoria doesn't emerge until they start puberty or later, which is, which is was the case with her. You know, she never really felt that she was, you know, in the wrong body or that she might be a girl or that, you know, any of these things were an issue until her body started going through puberty. And once her body started going through puberty is when she started to have a lot of distress and her body started to feel like foreign and not like the body she knew or was comfortable with. Um, And before that, she had not felt that before. You mentioned the word or the term gender dysphoria. Can you just explain what that is? Um, I think, you know, it's basically distress over the gender that one is living in. So if you were, you know, designated, you know, male and you're living as a boy, having distress about that gender identity. Um, So, yeah. Right. So, and, you know, and you, you know, it's interesting because like later in the book, you, you talk about, you're a little hard on yourself about how, like, how you didn't handle um, your daughter's coming out as trans skillfully, how you shot her down and you're, you're disappointed in yourself for this, but it's interesting Mm -hmm. to kind of, for me to look and see, well, you know, it's, across the spectrum of reactions, it seemed like you actually had like a probably like a pretty, you know, it, of all the reactions that trans youth are having from their parents is probably definitely more on the positive end of the the spectrum. Cause I know that there's a lot of like outright rejection, but you know, I'd love for you to talk, uh, talk to us about how you, how you did react and, and why, why were you, why were you so disappointed in it? 
So how I reacted was, you know, when, when she, she basically sat and gave us a dissertation on being trans all in, all in one sitting. And you know, I consider myself a very open, liberal, you know, mother who had always told my kids that they could tell me anything and that they could come to me with anything. And, you know, when she came to me with the biggest thing that she had to tell me, I immediately... I, feel like I immediately shut her down. And, and my reaction was, there's no way that, you, you know, I said, there's no way that you're transgender. Uh, I've known you your whole life. I know you better than you know yourself. And I think you're just, you know, depressed or confused, or I don't know what's going on with you, but I will get you a therapist who's trained in this um, to help you sort out what is going on, but there is no way that we're going to allow you to be trans or allow you to transition. And there's no way that you are going to start medication or do anything like that until you're 18 years old and an adult. Uh, so, you know, I didn't, I didn't kick her out of my house or, you know, um, and I did immediately look for a therapist for her, but she sat and told me who she is. And I said, no, that's not who you are. I know you better than you know yourself. And there's no way I'm going to let you do this. Mm -hmm. um, and if you, you know, read about trans people's um, experience and, and, and talk to um, trans people, uh, the moment they come out to their parents is a huge part of their life and, a, you know, a really a sentinel moment, you know. Um, and, in, and I feel like she, while she hadn't had signs that I would consider, you know, distress over gender in her childhood, she was often depressed and nobody could really figure out why she was depressed. Um, she did have difficulty making good friends. Um, she had, you know, other things. It just was, there was never any clue that the underlying issue with those other things may have a gender base. Um, but so, but because she had, she would have these periods of depression for no reason. You know, we had already been through um, multiple, you know, therapists and particularly with her, I had had many conversations about, you know, I think there's something going on with you and I don't know what it is and whatever it is, you can tell me. Um, so when she did tell me, I immediately shut her down. So I think that's part of why, you know, I, I feel incredible guilt about it. Um, I think the other part that I'm not sure if it gets conveyed as much in the book or not, or but because of my because I was completely uninformed and ignorant on this topic, um, we had about a six to nine month delay in starting the process of getting her uh, appropriate care and blocking her puberty and and going from there. And so I think there's a difference between you know a child who comes out during puberty is that is an incredibly critical time. So, you know, when an adult comes out to their parent or a 17 or 18 year old or 20 year old, um, and their body has gone through puberty and changed all that it's going to change, 
and it takes six to nine months for their parents to get on board, that doesn't make as big of a difference physically and medically. Hmm. And when a child that's six or seven or eight comes out to their parent and it takes their parent a year to get on board and their body hasn't started, you know, puberty yet, hmm. the, you know, the ramifications of denial and delay before puberty and, you know, after puberty, early adulthood are all sort of social ramifications. Mm -hmm. But during puberty, delay equals, every day of delay equals your body further masculinizing or feminizing in a direction that causes you more distress and in, in a direction that should you choose to medically transition is going to require more uh, undoing, you know? And by undoing, I mean, for example, her face in that six to nine months her face rapidly grew facial hair, which we have had to now, which really causes her a lot of distress. And she's had over 30 sessions of uh, uncomfortable, painful electrolysis to try to get rid of it. And it's, and it's not done. Um, and this is something she wants to do. Obviously, it's mm -hmm. not like I said, oh, you need to get, get electrolysis, you know? So, so I think, um, you know, I think that's the thing is that so many of these kids are puberty is when it becomes kind of clear for them or when they start to, you know, this mismatch, if it wasn't there before, they really start to hit it and, and feel it. And puberty is when, you know, that they may come out to their parents and because they're in puberty and because they're in teen, because they're teenagers is exactly why we don't believe them. You know, we're just <laughs> that, like, Oh, this is, you know, <laughs> you know, this is just another thing, you know, for you, this is just another trend. This is just whatever, another phase. Um, and so there's a delay and in, you know, it, but it's like the worst time to have a delay. I think um, that's, that's, a lot of, you know, my guilt. We are sponsored by Midi Health. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, vaginal dryness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. All of these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around perimenopause and menopause. And the experts at Midi Health understand what you're experiencing and how to help. Midi clinicians are menopause experts dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions. Midi care is covered by insurance, and with Midi Health, you can stop pushing through it all alone. Schedule a virtual visit to discuss your symptoms and health background in depth. You'll come out of the experience feeling heard and with a plan to start feeling better. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Joinmidi.com. We are supported by Melon Headwear. These hats are perfect for Father's Day. They are built to be in and around water. They last five times longer than any other hat. They're naturally antimicrobial properties. It doesn't, sweat doesn't break down the hat. No sweat stains, no smell ever. It's built for the water. We tested it tubing on the Brandywine River and it was fabulous. It even floats when it drops in the water. It doesn't lose shape. It is amazing. An incredible, comfortable fit. 
Use code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off your order. If you're trying to figure out a Father's Day gift, honestly, trust me, this is exactly what they want. Go to melon.com, that's M-E-L-I-N.com, and use the code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off. Melon rarely offers discounts, so don't miss this opportunity. It is, I swear, the perfect Father's Day gift. Premium headwear, melon.com. Use the code mindful for 30% off. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Like that, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that this this delay makes a huge difference, but this is a huge life change that you don't want to just go rushing into. I mean, I guess right. you know, it's curious, you know, as a as an you know, an outsider to this this issue, it's like I, you know. Yeah, I mean, is there a chance, you know, what are the chances that, I, mean, I guess we don't know, right? What are the chances that people say, I'm trans, but then they're actually maybe gay, right? And they, and, you know, that is a confusing time. And then what happens right. if they adjust their body and and they can't have children or something like that? I mean, I think those are really real fears right that uh, that are really understandable and for most of like you know human existence this option to just you know to change your body didn't exist so it's this is like a a kind of a very new um a new dilemma or you know in some ways I mean not I'm not trying to like put not I'm not trying to minimize it but I I guess I, I would say like I don't think you should necessarily minimize your fear and your caution. I think those are right. also wise and um, and loving reactions as well. Right. Uh, I agree. Uh, you know, I agree with that. I, it's these are really, really difficult um, decisions to make. Um, which you know, it's clearly in my, in, you know in my book how much. I, you know, struggled with, with making these decisions and talking to, you know, other parents, how, how difficult these decisions um, are. But I think, you know, getting, I think some of the things are, you know, for, for a lot of parents, there's, you know, a delay in getting into therapy, you know, getting into, um, you know, even mentioning it to their pediatrician, for example, you know, or, you know, there are things that you can do um, safely, sort of immediately, um, mm-hmm. that aren't going to have long-term consequences. And, you know, so, you know, getting with the appropriate therapist and mentioning it to your pediatrician so that, that they can refer you to somebody who is a gender specialist. And considering putting a pause on puberty, which is done through puberty blockers. Um, and so puberty blockers have been used um, for over, I think since over 30, 40 years now, um, completely safely for for other reasons, like kids who go through, you know, early puberty and puberty blockers are completely safe and completely reversible. Um, And so you can put a pause on puberty while you are, you know, getting the right, you know, therapists and care to sort of help figure this out so that um, the teen's body is not further masculinizing or feminizing, you know, in the wrong direction while you guys try to, you know, figure this out. But I think that is one thing that people don't know and, and are, you know, worried about and, and scared of. Um, so, 
now starting cross you know cross hormones or hormone therapy does have some irreversible effects but putting a pause on puberty is completely mm -hmm. safe and reversible um and and that can really make a big impact and relieve the distress for a lot of teens significantly um and by you uh, you know, you can very safely pause puberty for two years um, to sort of buy time to figure out, you know, what's what's going on. And obviously, we all go through puberty, you know, at different times. Some people start at nine, some people eleven, some, you know, uh, thirteen. You know, so so you can very safely pause it wh while you figure that out. And I think then getting back to your other question of what if they do change their mind or this isn't, you know, the right thing for them. We do, the data we have um, so far um, is that of once a child um, has started puberty and says they're trans and believes that they are trans, um, you know, of the kids who start, you know, medical transition, the rate of who then stop or change their mind has been a max of two to three percent. Um, so it's so 97, 98%. If once they've started puberty, um, if they say they're trans, they really are uh, trans. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think, and you, you know, the, I mean, I'm fortunate we live in Los Angeles and. Um, the doctor that we took her to um, had been treating trans kids for over 20 years. So he, you know, he had a lot of experience with this and, you know, could, and I could rely on his experience and, you know, him, you know, feeling certain that this was the right decision, you know, for her and sort of hand over some of that, the burden of decision making over to her, her doctor. Um, but yeah, these are all legitimate fears. I just think, um, you know, don't, don't not act, you know, like mm. do something, you know, just get, get help with the right, from the right people. And if you need to just pause something, you know, pause it so that you do have the time to figure it out and, and make the right decisions. You mentioned in the book that, you know, parents come all the time to the pediatrician's office and say, you know, I can I can we get ADHD drugs and things like that for our kids? And those are have huge, big side effects, but they're they're actually much more, you know, maybe in some ways more dangerous than these, than the puberty blockers that you're that you're mm -hmm. mentioning, but we kind of take them for granted because they're so familiar now. Yes. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many kids um who are on stimulants or antidepressant and anti-anxiety medications. Obviously all of those are okay and life, you know, life-saving for the kids who need them and quality of life improving for the kids who, who need them. But all of those medications have side effects as well. And we are much quicker to put kids on, you know, those medications and on, you know, puberty blockers, which are completely uh, reversible and safe. So interesting. I mean, so yeah. we've been talking about a, a lot about the, um, about the, I guess it's sort of like the technical side of this and things like mm -hmm. that. But I mean, imagine for you, I mean, and I, and reading your book is a great book. Um, I mean, so for instance, the other day, my 13 year old was being very 13 and ornery. Mm -hmm. And I had just like a good cry, like grieving this, 
like loving little girl that I yeah. used to, that used to just want to hang out with me and be with me and just like grieving that transition to, from girlhood into teen. Now mm-hmm. I can't, I can't even imagine the, the grief process for you of going, you know, losing in some ways your son gaining now this daughter, um, and how did how did you how did you deal with that as you went yeah. through? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was there was a it was the most incredible grief I've ever felt. You know, I've never I guess I have been fortunate that I haven't had a, a lot of terrible things happen in my life, you know, yet and hopefully that won't change, but this I I've never experienced grief uh the way I experienced it once um once I moved on from denial and anger to realizing that this was probably true and that I was, that this was probably happening. Um, I had, I experienced, um, grief unlike anything I've ever experienced before. And, you know, I think I, it really, it, it took a long time, but I had to get to the place of realizing that I wasn't losing anything. You know, it takes a while to get to the point where you see that you haven't, you really haven't lost your child, that your child is the same person that they've always been. It's just that they have a different gender than, than what you thought. Um, and, you know, it's, but yeah, you know, we all, you know, from the moment our kids are born, we sort of project into their future and, you know, imagine their future and, you know, have these, you know, visions and hopes and, you know, for them. And, you know, I think a lot of the grief too, when you have a trans child um, is because you have a lot of fear for them, you know? And so, uh, you know, I had a lot of fear of, this is gonna, is this gonna, you know, limit her life? Is she gonna be uh, bullied? Is she gonna not be able to get as good of a job? You know, is, um, is she gonna have a harder time meeting somebody if she wants to have a partner, you know, in life? You know, will she have a harder time being a parent if she wants to be a parent, which she was, she's always been very clear that she wants to have children. Um, so, so a lot of the grief is, you know, is all of this. And for that part, that was sort of fear-based about her future being limited, that I really just had to work on my own mindset um, and realize that this did not in any way have to be something that limits her future. Um, and that if I had the attitude that this was going to limit her future, then it certainly would, you know, and I had to step up and be, you know, optimistic for her and tell her that, you know, rather than this limiting her, um, she could use it to, you know, sort of open doors for her, you know, and, and, and be a, a trailblazer and, you know, make a difference um, in the world. And I think once I, once I changed my attitude about that, really things started to change for her as well. And she started to become so much happier. Um, and I think also once she was allowed to, you know, start living as her authentic self, you know, I mentioned that she had had periods of, um, you know, depression and, and loneliness. Um, so once she was allowed to start 
being and living as her authentic self. She became so much happier. Um, she now has more friends than she ever ha has had. She's doing so well. And it's, it's really impossible to watch your child transform in that way and not get over yourself and over your grief. So it's, I think it's like a process, the grief, just like, you know, just like any other grief, you know, or, um, at, people have in the, in their life. Um, it's, you just have to, you go through the phases of it. Um, but I think it's, a, you know, it would have been impossible to watch her be this much happier and thriving now and not get over uh, my feelings of what I thought I lost. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Mm, yeah, that makes that's beautiful that you got to have this like this sort of joy at the end of it. Would, is it okay if I read some of your words back to you? Because I thought it was, oh, sure. was kind of neat. Yeah. Um, you were talking to your husband and you said, um, I, I'm never going to know what the, an adult version of Aiden, is that how you said her old I did, name? Yeah. Aiden, yeah. okay. <laughs> um, would have been like, I just can't seem to get over that. And he said, you do know an adult version of Idine would have been either a depressed and isolated person or dead. But the real adult version of Idine is Ava, which I hope I'm pronouncing that right yes. too. And she will be happy and thriving and surrounded by friends. And obviously he was right. That's really yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, it's true. You know, she had, um, 
she was lonely for she was lonely for so i mean it wasn't going to be sustainable for her to stay you know living presenting as a boy i mean it just wasn't uh, you know i think this adult vision i had of this adult son that's it just wouldn't have happened you know it that wouldn't have happened she she would have been a lonely unhappy man she wouldn't have been you know this you know thriving adult male sitting at my thanksgiving table with you know his kids and and whatever i wanted you know um but i have no doubt just seeing her now that the adult version of ava will be happy and um thriving and doing well and I, I used to worry that she, you know, what if she wouldn't find like a partner or somebody, you know, if that's what she wants in life. I mean, I don't worry about that at all anymore. Um, I think a, a lot of not worrying about those these, those things is um, that I got involved with a community of other parents raising trans kids. And, um, you know, you sort of fear what you don't know and what you don't have, you know, and once you get involved with other parents who have trans kids and young adults and surround yourself with a community like that, you know, all those, all those fears go away. Mm. Uh, well, you mentioned earlier, you know, you, you want to, you hope that she'll be sort of trailblazing and positive, but I was, you know, I mean, this is what you're doing. You're modeling how to be trailblazing and positive by writing this book and embracing, which is so cool. So she has a, a good female role model in that respect. Th thank you. I hope so. <laughs> um, I mean, I think in a sense, the book was almost like a big apology, you know, to, mm. to her for, um, you know, the, for, for getting it wrong initially, you know, and, you know, writing it, hoping that somebody, another parent will, you know, even if I said, even if one parent reads our story and, and when their kid comes out, doesn't, you know, immediately dismiss their kid. And um, then, you know, we've sort of done our job in, in telling our story. So um, yeah, thank you. Um, does this whole experience change the way you think about, like, would, if you could go back and parent your kids differently now that when they were little, or what, what does it make you think about how maybe you, you would have, if you could change things when they were little kids? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we think that we raise our kids without imposing gender on them, but that's so absolutely not true. <laughs> you know, I think I would go back and really, you know, it's, I never forced her to do anything she didn't want to do. You know, it's not like I ever forced her into a sport or forced her into, you know, clothing that she didn't want. But I think that we, do impose gender on our children in very subtle ways that we're not, you know, even not aware of at all. Um, and so I think, you know, for example, you know, when I, I had my oldest son and then I had um, Ava and our house was filled with like cars and trains and superheroes. And so that's what she played with. I mean, that was what was in our house, you know? Um, and then when I had my daughter, you know, I bought, you know, a little house and the tea sets and, and all of, you know, these things, you know, I mean, 
even just right now, if I'm buying a gift for my niece, I try to buy gender neutral gifts, you know? And so now if, if my niece asks me for a doll, I'm going to buy her a doll. But if my niece asks me for a puzzle, I'm not going to buy her like a pink princess puzzle. I'm just going to buy her a puzzle of the world or farm animals or whatever, you know? So mm-hmm. when I can take gender out of something, you know, I, I do, um, uh, you know, even I think, so I think I'm just a lot more aware of, I remember there was one time before, um, she came out that I was, I bought a chalkboard for my youngest um, to just put in her room and the chalkboard, I don't even know what you call the shape, but it, it wasn't a, it had like a swirly, you know, shape to it, you know, the, the chalkboard. Um, And, and then, you know, Ava, you know, who, this was still when she was presenting his boy, you know, saw the chalkboard and said, Oh, I want a chalkboard for my room. And I bought her like a rectangle chalkboard. Like, why did I buy Shada like this swirly chalkboard and a rectangle chalkboard for Ava? I mean, like gender, we do things, we don't even realize the things that we do, you know? And so what is that telling? And at that time, Ava was 11 or 12. So it was right when her body was starting to change. So, you know, you're telling her, you know, you know, you get this sort of chalkboard, you know, you, there, there's no like creativity or femininity or whatever you want to call it is not appropriate for your room. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, these are just such subtle little things that we do that we don't even realize we're doing, but now I'm so hyper aware of the things I did do and, and what I, you know, do. Mm. So And And I would just like to say, please, people don't stop the gender reveal parties. I mean, celebrate having a baby, but please stop the gender reveal parties. Yeah. uh, Aside from the fires, they are literally lighting in the world. Um, Yeah. yeah, It it really does train. It's interesting. I thought it was so interesting because when I had my first daughter, who's 13 now, that kind of thing didn't exist. And we waited to find out her, her sex. And, um, and so I asked everyone to find me gender neutral clothing. Cause I, that's always been really important to me. I really hate the boxes that people are put in for yeah. masculinity and femininity and gender, particularly as a girl. I remember really hating pink as a girl and just being like, stop shoving your pink down my throat. I don't want it. Right. You know? And, um, yeah. And so what, what do you see as like sort of the, the detriment to those gender reveal parties? Well, it's, you're not, it's not really a gender reveal. It's a genitalia reveal party, right? So, because we now know that genitals and gender are two different things. Um, most of them, they are so very, very gendered, you know, the, the boy gender reveal party is all like, you know, trucks and football and blue and, and the girl gender reveal party is, you know, super pink and princess. You know, if you, if you look at pictures of them, they're just, you know, it's like, just have, and I don't know if people are having, you know, some people are doing the gender reveal party and then they're having, you know, their baby shower, you know? So it's like, just go back to just having a a baby shower, you know, but 
it's it's that the gender reveal parties you're already imposing so much predetermined gender you know on the child which even if your child is cisgender i mean for most people their child is cisgender so you know but but you're already just imposing kind of roles and definitions and how you your kid should be as a boy or a girl on them before they're even born you know um, yeah yeah i mean i guess do you see it as kind of like a backlash against the like these people pushing back against these norms like tr- them, them them trying to be you know reestablished from an even earlier point I don't think that's what's happening. I think people are really just excited and they're trying to have a, you know, party. And I, yeah. I just think when, when you don't really, I don't think people are, you know, aware of that, of the sort of detrimental, you know, parts of it when they're doing it. I do really think that they are just trying to actually celebrate that they're having a boy or a girl. And, um, but it's just, you know, no, do you giving the wrong message? So you must look at like gender and gender roles really differently, I'm sure now. And I, I just wonder, like, do you does it change the way you look at masculinity and gen- and femininity in general? And like, if you could sort of like wave a magic wand and make make childhood safe for for all kids you know what what would be the changes that you would ha- see in an ideal world around the way we approach gender yeah i mean i think we would really offer all kids um the same choices the same activities the same toys you know we we would get rid of statements like oh boys don't do this or girls don't you know do this mm-hmm. i mean i think we and we are a lot more comfortable with girls um doing certain things in childhood that we consider you know more you know boy activities you know we put our girls in you know soccer and if they're a tomboy we you know encourage that and we consider that you know strong and but we really really don't allow boys to uh be you know soft and sensitive and express femininity and you know, how many parents are putting their um, four-year-old girls in ballet versus putting their four-year-old boys in ballet? Um, You know, just, you know, so, um, I mean, I myself never signed up my first two for ballet. And when Shada was, my youngest was four years old, I put her in her first ballet class. There's nothing wrong with putting her in a ballet class at four years old, but why didn't I do that for, you know, my, my oldest, you know, for example. Um, so I think, you know, just, uh, I think really trying to provide the same sort of opportunity activity, have the same mentality, the attitude, you know, for, for all kids. Um, and you know, the other thing that really, I think schools, you know, in schools, what's really hard for a lot of kids is, you know, they'll have, okay, like, all right, so all the boys are going to line up and use the water fountain first. And then all the girls are going to line up and use the water fountain or, you know, a, a lot of things like this. And for that kid who, who early on is aware of having a gender, you know, identity um, issue or dysphoria, that is incredibly um, distressing, 
you know, so, I mean, why do we do this in school? Like boys line up here, girls line up here. I mean, um, there, we, we do it and we separate boys and girls in so many ways, in so many different places. And we really just need to become aware of how much we're doing that and try our best not, not to do it. Yeah. You know, I, we can I, just easily say this half of the class, okay, these two rows <laughs> go to the water fountain. Now these two rows go to the water fountain. And yeah. if you did that instead of boys, you go first and then girls or vice versa, for that one kid who's in that class um, who does have a gender issue, that would make all the difference. Make all the difference. I, I went to a school, my middle school was kind of an old school middle school and it had a big carved in stone signs above the two entrances on either side of the school when you went in from the playground that one said boys and one said girls <laughs> it was like okay actually i don't yeah. think we used it at that point then but yeah it's like uh, this this kind of separating of each other you know um so i mean now now for people who feel like um yeah, I wonder. I wonder if you've come across people who feel like like it's an attack on femininity or an attack on masculinity to to um, to sort of like push back against these these norms. And um, have you come across I, that kind of reaction? Um, not uh, well, not directly to me, but yes, um, you know, I think. For example, you know, I wrote, when I read an article, I really don't read the comments anymore. You know, I wrote an article for the New York Times recently. Um, and it, I think it was called like, what I learned as a parent of a transgender child. And so when you read the comments, you know, there's some, and, and that article was, there was really nothing controversial in that article. The article was basically like, listen to your kids and, you know, parent them with love instead of fear. I mean, it was very basic concepts, you know, it didn't say anything about, you know, medically transitioning or not, or, you know, it, it was just a parenting thing. Um, and when you read the comments, I mean, there were some really positive comments and, and some really terrible, you know, comments. And um, I don't even... I don't read the comments anymore. I mean, somebody else kind of draw my drew my attention to the comments. And I said, yeah, I stopped reading comments on articles I post uh, a long time ago um, after, you know, I wrote one for the Washington Post a, a couple of years ago. And some of the comments were just so, so horrible, you know, and I, I've learned that when people can be anonymous, they, they, you know, say terrible things and, but, you know, they would never say those things, you know, to your face or, or directly to you. Um, yeah. So I think there, and there's a group of um, uh, feminists, feminists in quote, um, who really uh, say that are, are against um, trans women and say that trans women aren't women and that they are, um, men trying to take away power from women and, you know, it's just, just terrible, you know, um, there's a term for them. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but, um, it's called a, a TERF, T-E-R-F, Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminist. Um, they are not nice. I can tell you that, you know, so there's a lot of, you know, there's pushback, but there is, um, you know, anytime you're uh, 
changes happening, <laughs> there's pushback and that's part of the process. Yeah, as we're seeing in the whole <laughs> whole world right now. Um, so yeah. for you as a person, you know, this obviously changed your life enormously. You, um, you know, you were off on a yoga retreat. Where were you? Like in Bali or something? Yeah. I'm so jealous. I was in Thailand, yes. <laughs> um, while, uh, while when you found news that Ava had cut herself and that, that precipitated mm -hmm. all of this um, story. Now, since then, you've had like all these enormous changes in your life. Um, you know, what, what do you see as a way it's changed you personally? Um, it's changed me in a lot of ways personally. I think um, the biggest change for me was, um, so my book has an A story, which is Ava's transition. And then it has a B story, which is sort of my backstory and my evolution. And, uh, you know, I grew up as a Iranian American uh, immigrant in the U.S. and I was one of the only brown kids in a white neighborhood, and I had and I had been um, bullied in elementary school, and that bullying experience. I mean, it happened in just one year of my my life. It was all of fifth grade, um, but there are some experiences that you carry with you to some degree for the rest of your life, and so that experience really led me to have a lot of insecurity throughout um, middle school and high school um, and really feel like I was alone and, and on the outside. And I, and I also, um, you know, once I became an adult, um, I, I had some leftover insecurity from that really, you know, into my forties. Um, and I felt like I was always trying to prove myself um, as a person and prove my worth. Um, and also that experience caused me to have a lot of fear for my child because as an outs, you know, when you've been an outsider, the last thing you want is for your child to be an outsider. So that caused me to have a lot of fear when she came out that, you know, what was her experience going to be like? And if mine had been like that, hers would be, you know, a hundred times worse. But but basically, you know, when watching her be so strong and so unapologetically sure of who she was forced me to re-examine all my insecurities from my past and get over it um, and stop feeling like I need to continue to try to prove my worth. Uh, you know, um, I think I've spent a lot of time trying to say that I'm just as American as the next person. And I'm, I've stopped, you know, feeling like I need to prove that. Um, and I think it's really been because I've, you know, watched how as a teenager, how she is so incredibly brave and strong, um, that I've sort of had to step up the to the plate for myself as well. Hmm, that's beautiful. I, I read, I, as I read that part about you and fifth grade, I could really, really, I had, a, I was bullied in fourth grade and, um, and for actually like a, the person that, um, that was a real jerk to me was in my class from kindergarten through senior high school. And, yeah. um, and I 
anyway, I, uh, I, I met him as an adult and it was like, he, it was, it was really fascinating to kind of see this person that I'd had nightmares about, you know, throughout my life. And so I love that this was part of the process for you was like to let go of those insecurities. And you also talked about, um, like slowing down. Mm -hmm. It it sounds like that may be part of that and like not needing to prove yourself anymore, just like slowing down, doing a little bit less, like slowing down your lifestyle and, and really focusing on, on what really matters and and not uh, just like kind of going, going, going. I imagine for a pediatrician with teens and, LA, like there's a lot of going, going, going in general. <laughs> yes, there, there definitely is. Yeah, I did a real slowdown. I uh, pared down my friendships to the ones that mattered the most and said no to a lot of things that I felt the need to say yes to prior to that. Um, I also, it forced me to deal with my own body issues. I've had body image issues for um, 30 years, starting at the age of 12, really. And once my body started going through a puberty and it's, you know, filling out and becoming curvaceous. Um, and I, you know, spent a, spent a lifetime yo-yo dieting, um, and trying every diet and reading every diet book, like, um, many other people do. Um, even though I've never been overweight, uh, it's always been like a, 10, 15 pound issue that I've been battling. Um, and when, when she, um, came out and, you know, we started having some conversations and she started estrogen and she was so, um, just waiting for her hips to get curvier. You know, I was like, why have I been fighting my hips for 30 years when it's these hips that define me as a woman and I want to be a woman. And I just realized how ridiculous my fight with my body had been. And really like after this conversation with her, um, I just stopped. Yeah, I just stopped ever criticizing my body, cropping my thigh out of a picture. all of it, you know, because I realized how ridiculous it was to be ungrateful for having a body that looks like a woman's curvaceous body. Amen. That's great. Yeah. That's so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Free, thank you so much. I really have been enjoying Found in Transition. For me, it's been really eye-opening. And um, I, I think it it really put made things personal for me, like to be able to read your story and for me to be able to put myself in your shoes so much. Um, when I first started to sort of like encounter trans people in life, I was like, it, I felt deeply uncomfortable. And I think hearing your story makes me feel more comfortable. And so I I appreciate that you've done that for me. So thank you. Um, And I hope that, um, I hope that, I hope that everyone reads it. I think it's really powerful and, and, and what it, it just eye opening to this, you know, the, the changes and challenges that are, are happening for people out in the world. And I hope for anyone who has a you know, trans kids or trans, potentially trans kids, you know, you'll, you'll read and, and know that you're not alone too. 
So thank you so much. Um, where can sure. people find out more about you? Uh, well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I really appreciate that you said that you had discomfort around trans people because I think so many people um, do and we just, we're not honest about it. So I really appreciate you being vulnerable and, and sharing that and, um, and that my book could um, change how you perceive that is really what writing this book is about. So that comment meant a lot to me. Um, I am, um, my website, pariahasori.com. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, you take your time. Uh, yeah. I, can, I can share. It's, it is. It's uh, par, pariahasori.com. And uh, it's P-A-R-I-A-H-A-S-S-O-U-R-I. And it's the yes. book is found in transition and you can find it everywhere, I believe. Yeah. And um, I'm also pretty active on Instagram at LA Paria. Um, and I do check my DMs there. And um, thank you so much for sharing this with your audience. That really means a lot to me. Thank you so much for listening. I mean, Paria's story is so powerful. I can't recommend the book enough. It's an easy read and it's probably a good one to be making the rounds through the moms, you know, through our, our book clubs and things like that. So if you have a book club, I really recommend Found in Transition um, for your book club. It's a really uh, powerful book. And uh, yeah, like I said in the conversation, like it really made it so that I felt like I understood in a way that was more personal to me and that that for me was really, really valuable. I recommend that you get it and read it as well. I hope that you're doing well. Just before we go, I want to remind you that um, we are opening spots in the Mindful Parenting Teacher Training. If you would like to teach mindful parenting in your local community, then you can go to mindfulparentingcourse.com slash teach and learn more about it. We're putting more information on that mindfulparentingcourse.com slash teach page every day. If you're interested, you can schedule a call with me. And if we determine it's the right fit for you, we'll send you a link for to fill out the application. Very, very limited spots. And we're going to be starting in late December. In late December, you get to get started with your coursework in mindful parenting. So anyway, if this is something that appeals to you, I would love to work with you. This is really a, a light uh, teaching this. I really enjoy it. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com teach. And I'm wishing you a great week. I hope you have pockets of peace and laughter and that you can slow down and really see your children. And part of the mindfulness and part of what we teach in mindful parenting is letting go of labels um, letting go is trying to see our children with fresh eyes. So this week, the next time as you leave listening to this podcast and the next time you see your child, let it be, practice to let it be with fresh eyes, seeing, being curious about who they are right now and letting yourself be open to who they are right now. And I'll be practicing with you as well. I'm, I don't do it all perfectly, that's for sure. Of course, the teacher training is not about you doing it all perfectly, but it's about sharing the healing medicine that is mindful parenting. And for you, take that healing medicine for yourself too. Slow down, connect with friends, and um, I will be back in your ears next week. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. 
Namaste. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.